When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to another episode of Syndicate. My name is Armand and I'll be your guide as we take a trip to the Grindhouse Theater as this season will be all about the strange, the thrilling, and the exotic. Joining me this time are the hosts of the horror podcast, Horror Queers, Trace and Joe. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. We're happy to be here. Hello. (laughs) And before we get into the film that brought us together today, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about Horror Queers? Absolutely. So we are a show on the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, and every week we look at horror films, well, mostly horror films, that have either a queer element to it or a high camp value. So depending on the release, we might be looking at something as obvious as A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, all the way through something really super campy like Drop Dead Gorgeous. And uh if the movie doesn't have anything explicitly queer, sometimes we joke that Trace and I are the queer elements because of what we bring to the table. <laughs> I think it's because we limited ourselves too much at first. It has to be explicitly queer, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. It's like, wait, no, everything's queer if you want it to be. That's yeah. true. Yeah, the definition has become a lot more malleable in the four years that we've been doing the podcast. But every once in a while, somebody will say, oh, well, that's not really a horror film or, oh, there's nothing queer about it. And you're like... <laughs> It's sleepaway camp. <laughs> <laughs> but but I will say, though, in all the research we do, you know, we, we've discovered so many people behind the scenes, be it directors, filmmakers, uh, directors, actors, writers who are queer in our research. And we're like, oh, shit, remember that, because we're going to get every horror movie they've done. And it's mm-hmm. queer. <laughs> yep. Wow. OK, so I do have to ask, where are you guys based out of? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, um, I am formerly of Austin, Texas. I've been a Texan my whole life, but I just moved to Denver, Colorado uh, two weeks ago. And Joe is up in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Oh my God, I hate you so much. Wow. Is it Ontario? Is Ontario? <laughs> Ontario, yeah. <laughs> Even the way you say Colorado, I'm just like, what is that pronunciation? Yeah, we are a fully remote podcast. So even before the pandemic, we had only met each other once in the entire duration that we've done this. We did a live show at Fantastic Fest in Austin. And apart from that, we just, uh, yeah, do it from the bedrooms of our respective abodes. Yeah, but, you know, we are basically each other's second husbands and we have talked I want to say every day for the past four or five years. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 That is wild. Yeah. And I hail from Chicago. I'm in Chicago right now. So we are like almost internet. We are literally international right now. Mm-hmm. But very interesting that <laughs> you're in Denver, you're in Toronto, Ontario. How did you pronounce it? Ontario? <laughs> Ontario. <laughs> I feel like Toronto, Ontario flows better. Toronto, oh Ontario, God. just it's like a, there's like a, it doesn't sound right. Is that how you Texans pronunciate your words? That is crazy. I mean, we do say pecan instead of pecan. Oh, wait, actually, oh, no. God. Maybe I don't. Maybe I say that wrong. But it's pecan. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, you know, Austin, stay weird. That's your motto, right? Yep. That is what it is. Um, stay as with more and more tech companies and startups move there. But yes, yes, it is. That gosh. <laughs> All right, so let's switch gears and talk about the film that brought us together today. So you recommended. So I reached out to you, and I was like, you guys are a horror podcast. Would you like to come on to this season where exploring everything that's horror, B-movie, and the like, something that belongs in the Grindhouse Theater? And you guys were like, sure, let's watch Maniac from 1980. Mm-hmm. So why Maniac? <laughs> I wish we can give you a good answer as like, oh, it's one of like our closest films to our hearts that we really, really love. But we both had never seen it before and it was on our watch list. And we're like, well, let's use this because the theme's Grindhouse, right? So it's like, yeah, let's do it. Um, I I had seen the remake. Joe, you, you haven't seen the remake, have you? I haven't seen the remake. I know all about it because you have talked about it ad nauseum because, of course, it has Elijah Wood. So you're a big fan. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm really well versed in like 1980 slashers, but this was one that I had just never really gotten around to. And it's uh, it it's left an impression on so many people. I just thought, yeah. OK, well, I, I want to know what the fuss is all about. Oh, I mean, the Blu-ray I have, there's an entire like yeah, section of special features that are just broadcasts of extremely negative reactions and reviews to this film <laughs> of course, of course, <laughs> and one yeah. of them is chicago they go by city it's like new york and chicago and then something else <laughs> rock on well i will have to say i've never heard of this film before you even really like i, I know i know you're shocked okay. right now but like i know that heard that's of this great film. you know what yeah we're we're big advocates of like not gatekeeping so people are like i've never heard of this i'm watching it for the first time and to us it's like the most obvious thing we're like that is fucking awesome have a great time circle back tell us what yes. you thought afterwards <laughs> but so, so you, you, have, have you heard that? of the remake before this point <sighs> no Okay, no, okay. no, that, that's fine. Wait. But I will say, you are in for a treat whenever you do finally watch that remake. <laughs> really? Okay. Because it's uh, the right. same concept, except that it's entirely shot in a point of view. So technically, the killer is played by Elijah Wood, but you only ever see him when he catches his reflection. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's to keep the budget cost down, just to have him on location uh once or twice for the whole movie maybe no uh, no 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 he he stayed on set the entire time so because i think he's a producer on it like he oh right he's i think he's the reason it got made like he really wanted to help remake this so yeah even though yeah, you only see him when he's in the reflection um, i think the camera only changes out of the pov once maybe twice in the entire film um but he stayed behind the camera with the director for the entire duration of filming Nice. Damn, well, good for I mean, he's him. a weird little guy, so it's not too surprising. Yeah, very much so. I mean, <laughs> what he's already done Lord of the Rings. Like, he, yeah. he's made his money. Like, he's good. He's like, I can do what the fuck I want now. <laughs> he's just like Daniel Radcliffe, where yes. he has, like, fuck yes. you money. And he's like, I'm just going to do whatever movies I want to do. Exactly. Oh my God, it cast those two as brothers in a movie and make it super fucking weird. Yeah, because they are doing weird movies now. And I, yes. they don't always work, but sometimes they do. And I always mm-hmm. applaud it no matter what. Yes. I think you two should pitch that to A24 and they'll be like, tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> That's just me. So you mentioned that you're a big fan of slashers. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask, like, in the whole slasher universe, for me growing up, I loved slashers. I loved mm-hmm. the 1980s slasher movies. We don't really get those anymore. It's very passe now. But like with Maniac, it's like kind of like a hidden gem with the slasher genre. Personally, I never heard of it, but like when watching this, I'm like, I see hallmarks of the films that probably inspired it from happening. Like I saw breadcrumbs of Halloween, for instance, Mm -hmm. especially in the killer, the main character, the maniac, if you will. So, you know, watching this film, did you see the hallmarks sprinkled in? What influenced this movie? I feel like the most obvious one and Joe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I got psycho all over this thing. Yeah, there's a lot of psycho with the mother being abusive and sort of like having conversations with her after she's dead. But Mm -hmm. you're right, Armand, it's very much like in that opening dream sequence kill when we're seeing things from the killer's point of view. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, this is Black Christmas. This is Halloween. So uh, and this was so popular in 1980 because, of course, we were all ripping off Halloween because it just made so much money. (laughs) Well, which is interesting, though, because this comes out ooh, like barely a few months before Friday the 13th hits theaters. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder, because I, while I do think, yeah, this is a really popular film within shades of the horror community, this isn't as widespreadly, that's not a word, <laughs> known <laughs> as Friday the 13th. And I wonder, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if maybe that release like overshadowed this a bit, because this, we'll both have Tom Savini, but this is a bit more of a, let's say, rough watch <laughs> than Friday the 13th yeah. is. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is a hard sell for a lot of people. Like, I posted that I was watching this, and the number of responses that I got from people who were saying, like, ooh, good luck, or, like, Jesus Christ, okay. it's, And I don't think it's actually that bad, but also I thought, okay, well, if I was a woman watching this, oh, yeah, this would be really fucking disturbing because there is a lot of gendered violence and the violence is rough. Like, this guy is not a cutesy killer. This movie is uncomfortable in that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, when I was watching this film, like, my, my first reaction was like, okay, so this this character, Frank Zito, he's kind of like the incel version of Michael Myers. If Michael oh. Myers was not <laughs> the shape, was not the boogeyman, but like a person and an incel, it would be Frank. 
It's it's interesting. I don't know. I mean, like, I'm curious. Do y'all empathize with Frank? Because the, the film doesn't go too deep into it, but it's clear that he is traumatized by something that his mother oh, has yeah. done. And yeah. I, I promise, I will, this is the, my last talk of the remake, but the remake does go further into like, <laughs> oh, he is a paranoid schizophrenic. His mom mm. was a prostitute. He She made him watch her as she brought John's home and had sex with him. So they delve more into the back. So it explains more of it. Right. That can work for you or not. We don't really get a lot of that here, but there's shades of it to where I'm like, obviously, Mm -hmm. I recognize that he is doing very, very horrible things. But I also, I don't know, I feel bad for this guy. I pity him more than so than I empathize with him, I think. Yeah, I feel like the movie doesn't necessarily want us to empathize with him, but it also wants to make it clear that he's not just out killing women for no reason. Like, he's very obviously suffering from mental illness. He's got psychological trauma from being abused as a child. And I don't think the movie is excusing that, but it is trying to say, well, this isn't just random violence for violence's sake. Mm -hmm. And I thought it's interesting that this movie also often gets compared to Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which is... A similar film, Armand, I don't know if you've seen or heard that one. No. Okay. <laughs> so imagine a, same, a, a similar kind of concept, um, but that one, again, they're going into the psychology a little bit more so that you really understand why this guy is doing it. But like, that wasn't always a thing, right? Like we did pop psychology in the 1980s as a kind of quick shorthand to say, oh, okay, well, you've got enough to understand why this person's committing murders. And now let's look at the gore. That okay, I'm really glad you brought that up. I've actually never seen Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer because I tried to watch it once and I was drunk and I was like, "Ooh, this is not Ooh, a that's drunk. not a drunk movie. No, no, no. <laughs> it's not a drunk movie." But by you know, going back to our favorite horror haters, Siskel and Ebert, they they uh, loathed yes. this movie and of course. loved Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. And uh, without having seen Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, watching this, I was like, "This seems like a very." similar concept and way mm-hmm. of telling the story so now i really want to go watch that movie to just see the differences and why some might find that film more successful or maybe not easier to watch but more uh, of higher quality than something like this yeah i do think that's one of the other things is like this one is so garish and almost like it's it's hard to say that it's not professional because some of the direction in here I think is actually really gorgeous. Like I think mm-hmm. it's well shot in a lot of different ways, but it doesn't look polished and it doesn't look clean. It looks really real. Like I think there were a number of people who confused this for a snuff film when it came out in the 1980s. So to that effect, I think for some people yeah. it's harder to then distance themselves from the violence. I mean, and I think that it's like, you know, this was a micro budget film. I mean, it was $350,000. And I mean, even this Blu-ray, like it is grain galore. It looks Mm -hmm. like an 80s VHS (laughs) tape. Um, So, I mean, and that's probably the best it can look based on what equipment they were using. But yeah, um, the aesthetic of this, it makes you just feel really gross as you watch it. Yes. So I have to ask, uh, Trace, your uh, Blu-ray, is it from Vinegar Syndrome? Uh, no, this is from Blue Underground. Um, this is the 30th anniversary set that came out. Two discs loaded with extras. Um, but I think they just announced a new 4K. Maybe that's the Dagger Syndrome one. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. All these boutique labels, they love to like buy each other's properties and then release them in a different format. And you're just like, oh my God, I can't keep up. It's funny because I actually bought this after I watched the remake, um, however many years ago. And I just have, it's been sitting on my shelf since. And so honestly, when we picked this, I was like, oh good, I can finally watch my Blu-ray. Yeah, it's an excuse. (laughs) So like going back to the film, like what you said, Joe, with like the whole aesthetic of it being unpolished, being gritty. 
like I think that lends into the film being more unnerving mm-hmm. uh, than the actual like if it was like clean, no grain, DNR, and like it it was it made me unsettled. I'm gonna be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Like watching this, I was like, I had those vibes of like, am I watching a snuff film right now? I mean, obviously mm-hmm. not because it's a real movie, yep. but like it gives into that. It leans into that. It's like you know, this feels like a home movie. Uh, that they're following this uh, psycho, this uh, Frank, and just watching him kill women. And I was just, after watching the movie, I was like, I kind of feel like I need a shower right now. Yes. That's the first half of the first half of this movie is just like, we're just watching. I mean, I think it's like three, maybe four big murder set pieces. And it's not Mm -hmm. until after the subway one where we actually start to get kind of a semblance of a plot when he finally meets Anna. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and again, that's 50 minutes of an 88 minute movie. <laughs> yeah. I messaged Trace because I had watched this first and we're apt to kind of give each other either a heads up or just sort of like general overviews. Like, Hey, this is kind of my, my first impression. Curious to hear what you're going to think. And I just wrote him and I was like, Ooh, there is no plot here. And that was basically right around the time that we were getting introduced to Anna. But even then I thought, okay, so we're going to follow Anna and him and there's going to be more there. And really like once he gets to that party and then meets this new woman, that's kind of the end of Anna. Like she doesn't really come back in a significant way. And I feel like in part, the movie is deliberately avoiding being traditional in its narrative. Like it's more Mm -hmm. interested in saying, no, no, you don't get a polished story because this is just Frank's disintegration before he ultimately implodes and gets caught. Right. Right. So one last thing, and then we can, do the elevator pitch and get into the film proper. So <laughs> oh, yeah, with sorry the about that. Yeah, remake, the intro still. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. So like with the remake, you know, it was made in 2012. And the mm-hmm. way you described it, Trace, of like, they're really humanizing Frank's character. They're really like setting him up for you to feel empathetic towards him. You know, has having his mom be uh, a sex worker and then having him watch her, you know, work, mm-hmm. uh, pleasing these Johns. Uh, you know, that brutalizes a person, especially a young boy. So my theory, just based on what the movies were coming out, you know, around that time. So have you seen Watchmen? Uh, by <laughs> yes. Uh, the movie or Zach the show? Snyder? Uh, the, the, the movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like that came out around uh, 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. And this film was made after that. So I wonder if Elijah Wood saw that movie saw the portrayal of uh, Rorschach, who has the similar upbringing of his mom being a prostitute and him watching her, his mom uh, take in John. So I just wonder if that was like the breadcrumb that was like, huh, I can use that in a remake of Maniac. I'm interested to ask this question. So why do you, why are you going towards Watchmen, which is not a horror film, and not going towards something else? Like because I feel like a lot of and I'm not asking to like call you out, but I just feel like there's a period of horror where I mean even going back to like Rob Zombie's Halloween remake, where we are we were so obsessed with the longest time with humanizing our killers or explaining why they were the mm-hmm. way they are. Rorschach mm-hmm. absolutely falls into that, but it wouldn't be my first guess if we're talking about inspiration for the Maniac remake. Um, I will say though that whereas we're talking about the aesthetic with this one, where oh it makes you feel gross and blah 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 the POV aspect of that remake, it's you're complicit in every single thing this man does. And so the the unease and the grossness you feel in this movie is mirrored in that movie, just with a different filmmaking technique. 
Mm, interesting. Yeah, I, I do have to check it out, but the reason why I made that comparison is simply because both mothers are sex workers. And then they kind mm-hmm. of reacted to that uh, trauma in two completely different ways. Oh, you know, I didn't even take into a, into account the fact that Rorschach's mother was a sex worker. So you know what? <laughs> you may be more on point than I'm thinking. <laughs> okay. I mean, it it is also a bit of a standard device that other films will use. Like, of course, now I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But I know for sure that there's at least a couple of horror films where it's like, I was a child who got locked in the closet and I had to watch my mom get abused by like people oh. while she was doing sex work. And um, The Black Christmas 2006 remake, when, he, when right. he has to watch his mom fuck her boyfriend and then she rapes him. Yeah, we watch a lot of wow. weird shit sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Not a good movie, but it's very fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know... I okay, and then we can get back into the movie. But like, I have a friend who he knows I'm a big movie guy, and he was like, "Armand, I want to see something fucked up." And I was like, "All right, no problem." So then I recommended the French film Climax. Okay. And yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "That'll fuck Climax. you up." <laughs> and then a couple hours later, he texts me back, and he's like, "Armand, what the fuck is wrong with you?" I was like, "You asked for it." Also, it's, that movie. It is great, but it's okay when you say I recommended the French film, and I was like, "Ooh, which Ooh, one's gonna come go. out of his mouth right now?" Because <laughs> of course, Trace and I immediately go to like the new French extremity. We're like, "Ooh, did he pick irreversible? Did he pick high tension? Did he pick yeah. high tension <laughs> inside <laughs> frontiers?" But climax, yeah. I mean, it's Gaspar Noé. Like that'll yeah. fuck you up. Yeah. So, like in the first season of this show, I was like hidden gems, and then like one of the first movies I thought of was uh, High Tension. Yeah, I, it was just. Like when I saw it back in the day, I was like, "This mm-hmm. is, I've never, I've never seen a movie like this." Like the twist actually surprised me. Mm-hmm. And when I was rewatching it now, I'm like, "This is a this little is, too intense." Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Our our reactions to that film we we covered it on a, a friend's podcast, The Nightlights, and um, yeah, that's not one of our favorites because we we find a lot of the representation very troubling, but also just the storytelling of how they do that twist. You're like, but this doesn't make any sense. And yeah. It really colors the way you can, like, basically you can watch it once and be like, that twist was amazing. And then you can never watch the movie again because the twist doesn't make any sense. Yeah, just heard me say this exact sentence a thousand times, but it's like, I think technically it is a masterfully made movie. It's so well done. The gore is great. It's edited well. It's shot well. That is a piece of shit twist that ruins the movie, and I fucking hate it. <laughs> Trace has a lot of strong opinions as well. <laughs> I just because it, 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 it falls into that ballpark of movies like the My Bloody Valentine remake, and there's another mm. one, Joe, where it's like you're showing me something that isn't happening. I do, that is cheating movie. <laughs> you know, I rented My Bloody Valentine back when we had blockbusters still, mm. and I did not have 3D glasses. Oh, so I pop it in and it's mm-hmm. all in 3D. And I'm like, oh, this isn't going to work. <laughs> yeah, that movie really benefits from the. Th- I mean, look, that it movie, yeah. stupid twist aside, is a boatload of fun. And oh. probably that and Piranha 3D, like the best use of that 3D in that era of movies. Oh, yeah. I don't mean it's a special looks good, Joe. It's oh, okay, just like- sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My weakness is bad CGI, so I'm just like, Ugh, some of the CGI is unforgivable in both those no, movies. No. It looks bad, but again, in terms of like having fun with the 3D gimmick, like yes. that, okay. those two movies are probably the best at it. 
I will allow it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That time period was like, do you like 3D? Definitely All of the movies are 3D. Uh huh. Like, oh, We're going to charge boy. you $18 for a ticket yeah. because we can yep. make lots of money this way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So getting back into Maniac. So before we go any further, let's do the elevator pitch. Please stand clear of the All right, guys. Room. I need you to pitch me the movie as if I've never seen this before. And to the viewer who probably never seen this before. So <laughs> who volunteered as tribute today? I will do this. Trace. Trace will do this. All right, Trace. I need you to summarize Maniac uh, while avoiding major spoilers. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's start in three, two, one, go. Uh, a sad mama's boy stalks and scalps women because he's really, really, really attached to his dead mother until he meets a photographer who may or may not be the key to his salvation. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> There's no plot in this movie. I don't. I can't. I can't do much more without spoiling things. <laughs> oh, that's true. I was like, well, I guess you could have gone into some of the murders, but I guess many of those are considered spoilers. I mean, right. I, I can describe the murders if you want, but it's he just kills women. <laughs> like that's what he does. <laughs> And right, full spoilers yeah. here on out. Okay, so our main character, Frank Zito. He is like a cross between Norman Bates and Michael mm-hmm. Myers mm-hmm. and an incel at the same time. <laughs> like, I, I don't know about you guys, but I got those vibes. I was like, yeah. he's like brutalizing women. Like, he has this vendetta. And this is before I find out about, like, you know, his mom was a sex worker. And that's what like, kind of like put him down this path. Uh, and how he reacted to that. But I was like, what the fuck? Like, well, I was going to say, though, because I, I see incel behavior here, but I wouldn't classify him as a incel only because, I mean, incel is short for involuntary celibate. I don't think no he's fedora. ever trying to have sex with these women. Like, I don't ever think he, I don't know. What do y'all think? I think that he has difficulty connecting to women. Like a couple of the thing pieces that I saw, particularly ones written by women were interested in how he seems to have just a lot of difficulty actually even like verbally engaging with them. Like that's one of the reasons why he has a better connection with Anna. Whereas I think other women just throw him off guard. So it's not so much like the incel behavior where he feels entitled to sex and he's not getting it. So he lashes out, but there's definitely a ton of misogyny, which is, I think what you're responding to Armand. It's like, Oh, he just, he cannot connect to women. And therefore his immediate response is, well, I should probably just murder them instead. (laughs) It's like this anger, this genuine unfeathered anger towards women. And like, in the cold open where you don't really know what's happening, you just see these two hookers on the streets and he's just walking by and she picks him up and they go back to, I guess a hotel room somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And he just doesn't, she offers to have sex and he like essentially declines, doesn't even want her to take off her clothes. And then he just, just goes on top of her and just starts choking her out and yep. it's quite brutal because like the scene is very drawn out. Yeah. Like if this was made today in 2022, um, I think most of the violence would be implied and mm-hmm. short. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> I, 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 again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not even using the remake as an example. I'm just saying in general, if we were remaking an exploitation grindhousey video, nasty movie from the eighties into yes. modern day, <laughs> I I don't know. 
I guess if I'm making that movie and I know, hey, this is what this movie is known for. This is because this movie, I mean, the effects are what people come back for. That that's why yes. it's known in horror circles are Tom Savini's outstanding practical effects. And I feel like maybe the murder scenes won't be as drawn out, but I do think they would be very, very as gory as they could be and very upsetting. Um, also, more realistic mm-hmm. even because of the, the time period now. But. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe someone would be like, no, let's do a not a less violent version of this Grindhouse movie. <laughs> I think gore is a little bit different. I think mm-hmm. people respond mm-hmm. to gore as excitement. It's like, whoa, special effects. Because like we know right. in our head this is fake. But like when you have like drawn out strangling scene, like for example, a mm-hmm. uh, promising young woman that came out, I think 2020, yeah. um, that had a very drawn out strangling scene. Mm-hmm. And even though there's no gore, like that was a very unsettling uh, scene to, to watch, and the difference there between that movie and this movie—sorry, one of the many differences—is uh, that that is also a female-directed and written yeah. film. That is like the whole scene is being controlled by women in a scene in which a woman is being murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, that would be interesting, though, right? If we had like a female-directed version of this movie, I think that would actually be one of the smartest things that they could do. Um, especially with this film, because it does like, there's a lot of women who just cannot watch this movie because it's not even that it's upsetting or unsettling. It's like, no, I have had to deal with Frank Zito's in my own life, not in a murderous way, but like he's, he is, he's giving us so much like a homicidal masculine energy in this movie. And the way that it's shot is it's either his perspective or it's so, intimate right like i think that's one of the reasons that the strangling scene is so hard to watch is because we are really close up on both of their faces so we have to watch his super angry face and her face where she's like i don't understand what's happening but i'm dying right now and it's so confrontational whereas i think a woman would stage this differently so it could still be upsetting Mm -hmm. but it wouldn't feel like oh wow we're just watching toxic masculinity the movie well, that, that's, I mean, like, that's where we get into the question, too, about misogyny, right? Like, in a mm-hmm. movie that is primarily about a man murdering women, yep. how do you make that less misogynistic, right? And I'm not saying, I'm not asking that as, like, a, it's impossible how you do it. I'm just, it's just a general question. Like, you know, like, what, what do you do to make it so? Well, I think, uh, to Armand's point, what we would end up with is something, actually, to both of your points, I think mm-hmm. we would end up with, like, Alex Garland's Men, where it would become <laughs> potentially metaphorical. Uh, so a24 needs to get their hands on this is what you're saying (laughs) if you want to class it up yeah sure sure i could totally see ari aster doing this type of movie where it's like he's strangling her on the bed and then the camera pans down below the bed and then it transitions to like a different scene Mm -hmm. like that's how you could do it tastefully but like with this is like like you said joe like it's a close-up on his sweaty face and his eyes are bulging out and he's like completely just I don't, I don't even know lost in rage. And he's just like, I must kill her right now. And she's like screaming in the background, calling for help. And it's like at that moment, like, cause like I reached out to you. I was like, pitch me a movie, like a horror movie, <laughs> grindhouse themed. And, and, and I'm sure you guys are like, oh, all right, maniac. And that, that was going through my head. I'm like, Oh man, they like, did not fuck around. When we were not we're trying to edgelord you, we swear. Like, um, we're, we're not the kind of people where we're actively trying to, like, fuck people up by making them watch <laughs> movies that they're not ready for. P.S., by the way, I'm, I'm re- I have to interject because I was like, well, let me, did, I, I, did a woman maybe write the Maniac remake? I don't know. Um, this is related because the people who wrote the Maniac remake, <laughs> Alexander Aja and Gregory Levasseur. 
<laughs> the writers of high tension. Yeah. <laughs> it's full circle. Oh my full full circle. circle. <laughs> and Piranha 3D. <laughs> but like now, like basically we're just going to be trolling Armand like every couple of weeks. It'll just be like, hey, did you watch that Maniac remake? <laughs> we forced it on you so much when we were on the show. You have it's to a, let us know. <laughs> it's okay. When you do a remake, theme then we'll just come back and be like hey we're doing maniac again <laughs> these fuckers won't let this movie go <laughs> for a movie we hadn't even seen before <laughs> so anyways maniac you know i did I, I i enjoy doing this i like going to some movies blind so then mm-hmm. i'm on a ride when watching okay. this. the only maniac i knew was the netflix miniseries with oh Jonah yeah Hill. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, this is like the 1980s version. <laughs> and then very quickly I'm like, oh, no, this is not the same premise right. at all. <laughs> oh, but now I'm imagining Jonah Hill playing this role in a new remake. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, he, he, he fits the, the, the look of yes, oh my gosh, who, plays, who plays Frank in this movie. Um, he fits. Oh, Joe Spinell. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, yes. he fits the look of Joe Spinell more than Elijah Wood does. <laughs> No and joke. maybe that's why you uh, relate, not relate, but like you feel for the character because like it's not a weirdo. It's a relatively good looking guy. And while uh, Joe Spinell really played up that this guy is unhinged mm-hmm. and he looks unhinged like, it, you know, back in the day, like when uh, Ted Bundy um, was doing his serial killing, he was mm-hmm. relatively attractive, man, gorgeous, especially during yeah. that time. Yes. But I like, mean, because like. But yeah, I guess the difference is, is that somebody like that knew that they could use it as a weapon. Like, that's what yeah. makes him a sociopath, is that he recognized that his his wealth and his privilege was something that he could use to lure women in. Exactly. This, in a way, mm. feels sadder and almost more pathetic. Like, I think Joe Spinell is giving the performance mm-hmm. of a fucking lifetime here. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, he is a schlubby everyman. Like, there's nothing romanticized about him. So it also, in a weird way, I think makes it easier to read misogyny into this because he's not attractive. So we don't feel as much empathy. Mm-hmm. We we don't want to like this guy because he doesn't look kind or or attractive. I, I, I have a question, actually, because I I think I might have missed this. But when he does go to Anna's apartment the first time, I know he's fine. He gets her address by looking at the tag or her, or her camera bag or Creepy. whatever in the park. Mm-hmm. Does he tell her how he knows where she lived? He says no. that he saw her taking a picture, but then right. she's just like, cool, picture why don't you him. come into my fucking apartment? No, and you're like, yeah. oh, the 80s. But no, right. But he doesn't say, oh, doesn't say I it. saw no. your name. So literally he followed her home, which is what he did. And that's what she, she knows that. And she mm-hmm. is not phased by this at all. <laughs> no, you're like, Anna, how bad is your sex life that you're just allowing strange <laughs> men into your apartment? Like, no, you it's gotta bet these men. They're dangerous. Even bringing the necklace back to Rita later, I'm like, girl, mm-hmm. like, this man followed you home. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was a very well, different there was, time. There was a, a little bit of a, a rapport between them. Like, he knew that he was essentially dating Anna at that time. It's like, Oh, you left your necklace. And she probably thought, oh, it's because Anna told me, told him where, where yeah. I live. So that, right. that kind of makes sense. But I mean, like, she saw him, him at, the, at the photo shoot. So she probably was like, oh, he's fine. Like, he's already been vetted by Anna. Anna has, right. Anna has no reason. No, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Which is funny, though, because I like Anna as a character. I actually wanted more from her. So when she does just disappear from the movie, it's kind of like, oh, hmm. bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, him meeting Anna, that was a little bit strange, 
But given, you know, he was a little bit more dressed up, he looked more professional, so that would, I don't know, lend uh, credence to his uh, credibility and trustability. Right. uh, Trustworthiness. Because, like, if he were to come up to her, you know, the scene prior of him wearing, like, a very dirty white shirt, sweat-stained, mm-hmm. hey, you took a photo of me. Can I come inside? She'd be like, what the fuck? Call One the would hope. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, because the conversation between them where they're talking about, you know, oh, if you can own a picture, you, ne- you can never own anything forever. I actually thought that was the, the, the best written scene in the movie. Um, I really, really, really liked that conversation between the two of them mm-hmm. and could have taken another couple minutes of it. Question yep. though, did you think it was the best written because it was the most conventional Conversational. in the film? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. You're right. th- th- there's not a lot to compare it to, but I actually did think it was a very like she's like they're talking about him, but she doesn't know it. And I really mm-hmm. kind of liked that aspect of it. Right. Yeah. Like it, it was the exposition dump of the movie, and it gives you a little insight into his character mm-hmm. as opposed to just being a mindless killer, a maniac. Yeah. yeah, I mean, especially by this point in the film, I was actually worried that that was what the entire film was going to be and that people had just elevated it in in the public consciousness because it had such great gore. Because I'm like, yeah, the kills are great, but also are we seriously just going from kill sequence to kill sequence? Yeah. So like, by the time we get to Anna, I feel like we as an audience are hungry to have any kind of character development. And it starts to feel like, Oh, okay. Maybe we will investigate who he really is. Right. Because he can finally make a connection with a woman. So he doesn't just have to kill her. Yeah. Right. Like it's just, it, it makes him into a human character and like you feel mm-hmm. for him just a little bit. It's like, oh, there's a history with this person. There's a reason why this person's killing. He's in pain on the inside. Like uh, earlier when you compared this movie to Friday the 13th with Jason Voorhees, like. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's no wonder why this movie got overshadowed by that because, like, I know in the first one, Jason's not truly in it. It's his mom. But, like, the whole franchise is about, like, this big dude with, like, a hockey mask. And he's, like, killing people. And, like, the kills are creative. So, like, there's this campiness to it. uh, No pun intended with Camp Crystal Lake. (laughs) But, like, with this movie, it's, like, you feel for the character. Like, with uh, Jason Voorhees, like, yeah, he's killing people. But you never ask, what's killing him on the inside, you know? We should note, too, uh, so this movie, it got overshadowed by something like Friday the 13th, which was, like, a massive hit and grossed, like, $40 million. But this movie did make money. I was shocked. It cost $350,000 to make, which is 
small but not super small um but it made 10 million so i think it's more that because there's such a plethora in 1980 like there's more than 40 slasher films that comes out that year so it's like well which is the one that absolutely astounded people and that's why we still talk about friday the 13th and then other films are slowly being rediscovered well, so then my right. question for both of you is, why do you think people are still talking about this today? Because the, I, I even went to Letterboxd to go log this, you know, I was like, oh, shit, like it's filled with some of our peers, Joe, with like five star reviews all over the place. And I wasn't shocked by that, but it was more so I was like, oh, shit, like people really like this movie. <laughs> but it's a lot of men. <laughs> <laughs> I have some theories, but uh, Joe, go first. Okay, so my theory is, yes, it's obviously first and foremost the groundbreaking gore effects, but I think it's also that the film isn't doing what we expect it to do. It's not giving us that traditional narrative, and it's Mm -hmm. not trying to excuse or even make us empathize with the killer. Like, this is a daring risky dirty kind of movie and i think for a lot of people this maybe feels like the kind of throwback of a film that we will never get again Mm -hmm. because it's in a way it's almost not commercial anymore like it could only have come out in 1980 right well that's that grindhouse thing right because it's like yeah i'm sure the selling point for this is it is shocking it will upset Mm -hmm. you blah 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 like i can guarantee that's where all that money come from came from like i I don't know it's notoriety yeah, yeah, yes, yes. I'm sure if someone like Robert Rodriguez mm-hmm. was like, I'm going to make, like, an exploitation movie. Like, he could get away with it because, like, he has the clout. He has, right. you know, well, and to, it's, the husband funny, to though, get right? away with because that. Because he, he does make a Grindhouse movie, but mm-hmm. it's a Grindhouse movie with, oh, as far as I can recall, without any sexual assault against women. Except maybe the except maybe the Quentin Tarantino scene where he's threatening to rape, but he doesn't actually rape them because he gets killed. Yeah, that that's right. an incredibly feminist film because all of the men are presented as complete dickheads and all of the yeah. women are very powerful. Also important to know for that film, sorry, this is like such a random tangent, but <laughs> Robert Rodriguez is he will meet and then date Rose McGowan on that film, and that's mm-hmm basically when she's being completely fucked over by the Weinsteins. So I wouldn't be surprised if that factors into the way that women are depicted in that film where it's like, nope, men can go suck a fuck and women are going to like beat the shit out of them. Yeah, because because Rodriguez was defending her because uh, mm-hmm. Weinstein didn't want to cast her in that movie. Exactly. And Rodriguez was like, fuck you, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> yes. And they both got blacklisted for a little while after that. Yep, they sure did. Sorry, tangent over. Resume conversation. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Didn't think we'd be talking about Harvey today. Wow, man. Jeez. Uh, you'd be surprised how many but, uh, uh, times Weinstein comes up, especially when you're talking he about He made so many movies or produced yeah. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God. Like, Hollywood is such a fucking weird ecosystem. Or it was, yeah. or maybe it still is. Oh, I don't it know. still is. Oh, yeah. God. It's a circle jerk. Jeez. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> literally, um, and figure in every meaning of the phrase. <laughs> <laughs> but getting back into the movie, so why I think there's a resurgence, or like, I don't want to say reverence, but like people look back on this film, it's like, oh, this is such a important piece of cinema. Mm-hmm. Is I think there's some key subtext that I picked up while just watching this movie. I was like, I am reminded of two serial killers. Uh, when watching this movie, Ed Gein, just because yep. of the aesthetics of like him killing women, scalping them, creating yeah. dolls, 
So it's very reminiscent of Ed Gein, you know, creating fucking lampshades out of people's skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also David Berkowitz, son of Sam, yes. who yeah. was killing people in New York City a couple years prior. So it's mm-hmm. like that is still in the forefront of like New Yorkers. Mind. And this movie takes place in New York City. Yep. So it's like, even though it's not like telegraphing, like son of Sam, you can tell like in the back of people's minds, that's what people are thinking about when watching this movie, watching this killer. Because it's like almost the same way. Well, because he's killing these people too, right? Yeah, yeah like he, the Tom he, uh, Savini he just death. Shot him. The Tom Savini death is so emblematic of Son of Sam. Like it looks like a recreation. Mm. It's disturbing. interesting, though. I do find like when you talk to people about this movie, they don't talk about the movie as a whole. They almost always just talk about Savini's head explosion yep. in the car. So it's almost like I, I'd be curious to know if there are full film fans of this or if they're more just like oh yeah those practical effects in that car scene because to me i'm like well that's not a five-star film that's like a fantastic <laughs> memorable sequence right i will I, in terms of memorable sequences though so yes i mean because the, yeah the, the car thing is the only thing i really knew about this movie um mm-hmm. minus what i knew about the remake obviously but i actually the two other standout set pieces um it is the the, the subway chase scene which i'm like why isn't this talked about in fucking great horror movie it. chase scenes Rita, so run, Rita, run. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the, the finale, when the mannequins tear him apart, I thought that was fantastic, which granted is also in the remake. But, 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 it's still done really well here. That's awesome. But, yeah, like, when when seeing that head explode in the car, I didn't know it was coming. But when it came, I was like, yeah! Yeah, it's I cheered. I was like, it's, I don't even yeah. know. Honestly, I don't even know how they did it. I don't know how they did it. Like it, it, I'm not gonna say it looked realistic, but like it looked gory. It was very. I will, gory. T- mm-hmm. I will tell you how he did it. It is a cast of Tom Savini's real head uh, and filled with leftover food and fake blood. <laughs> <laughs> wow, really going for that chunky aesthetic, I guess. Yeah, the chunky. <laughs> it's so funny because normally they use like a bunch of condoms filled with shit, but no, it's the head filled with food and yeah. fake blood. Hmm. And that's not the only fake head in the movie. Um, like the the practical effects of this film, I was mm-hmm. genuinely surprised. I was mm-hmm. like, "That is like, I guess when people talk about this movie, it's the practical effects. It's not the content of the movie, but like <laughs> the practical effects are top notch." And I'm not I'm not surprised. It's Tom Savini. I saw his name, and I was like, "All right, Here we're we gonna go. see some <laughs> gore." <laughs> we all know what this means. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, that's because Savini is a Vietnam vet. And so, like, I've seen him speak where he's like, look, people are like, how did you, how did you know how to make that? Or someone will come to him and be like, oh, you did a, a head cut off and blood sprayed off. That's not very realistic. And he's like, fucker, I've been to Vietnam. I've seen a head chopped off. And let me tell you, it sprays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's no little trickle of blood that comes out when people get their throats slit. Mm-hmm. So, guys, I don't know if you two are familiar. So, I recently did Suspiria, and that's all about that's a Giallo film, mm-hmm. which inspired the slasher movies. Like watching this, I was like, "Ooh, I, you, you can tell this is in the beginning of the movement of slasher movies because like the blood is bright red, and it's like camera zoom into the the slicing of the throats, and I'm like, I know what's happening right now." <laughs> it is so interesting because. I, I have also called Suspiria a Giallo film, but I have had people come after me because technically 
technically, and we're getting into semantics here. It's not. Oh, for the people listening, Trace is doing like severe eye rolls at this. I know. Because it doesn't have a cloaked figure. Yeah, there's no black glove figure, serial killer, blah, 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 blah. It's like, but okay, whatever. Aesthetically, this thing's, and and narratively, like just the way that the stupid nonsense narrative of that movie, that is a Giallo film. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Amen. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, man. But like when watching this movie, I was like, oh, because like, I told you, I went in blind. So I didn't even know it was a slash movie. And I saw the poster and I was like, I've seen that before. And I <laughs> sent you a, a a song by Carpenter Brut, which is a French band, French uh, synthwave band. And they emulated that aesthetic in their album arts and also in other albums. Yeah. Like, so, like, this movie has quite a following. And I'm very surprised because, like, this movie is um, not that great uh, in comparison <laughs> to the other slasher films, in my opinion. I don't know how you guys feel about that. I mean, I think that's a Joe's going back to, though, where it's like notoriety. Um, I, I think this felt like something that you shouldn't be watching. I mean, it wasn't a video mm-hmm. nasty, but it was almost a video nasty. And yeah. I mean, what better way to get people to talk about your movie, even if it's not maybe good? Um, I don't know. And it's so funny, too, because, I mean, I... I enjoyed this more than I expected. I mean, enjoy maybe the wrong word, um, but like I, I liked this a lot more than I, it's not a five star film for me. But um, I gave it three and a half. Um, I, 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 but because I think the second half is a market improvement Better. over the yeah. first half. It I really wonder, is. It almost Arma- feels like a different movie. Go ahead, Joe. Oh yeah, I I wonder, Armand, if one of the reasons that you say it's not as good as other slashers is because it's so deliberately resisting being satisfying to us like this movie doesn't feel like it's interested in giving us closure a resolution it doesn't want to give us like thrilling chase sequences even though all of those things are there in different portions or uh, quantities but you know i think of some of the more satisfying slasher films and it's like yeah we've got great chase sequences or uh, a killer that's got a memorable mask or a weapon that we want to identify with and like this movie isn't really interested in giving us those kinds of things. So it's a harder sell. And then you add in the misogyny and then you add in the over the top gore. So if that's not your bag, that's going to be hard for you as well. So, I mean, we say slasher, other people will say it's exploitation yeah. and that really starts to take us down a different kind of path as well. Like, I think it's a good marriage of the two, but it really is doing something very different than what like a conventional studio film was doing in 1980. But that's the thing too. I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I would call this a slasher um, in the same way that I don't know if I would call Suspiria a slasher, to be honest. Um, but in terms of like, you know, let's say, why is this one? Why do people care about this one? Joe, you said earlier, 40 slasher movies came out in 1980. Mm-hmm. Now, A, name them. B, <laughs> uh, let, I, I will almost guarantee you that maybe you may not call this movie good, but I can almost guarantee you that at least 30 of those 40 slasher movies are probably worse than this one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, there are some that absolutely. are just absolutely derivative. I mean, the, the funny thing is about horror films, you can throw out a title and you will immediately find people who will ride or die, you know, absolutely sacrifice themselves on a hill to defend its honor and be like, this is the best movie I've ever made. Like, you know, I'm thinking of like Graduation Day, which is just such Blech. a pale imitator so slasher. Boring. It's so really boring. boring. It doesn't have that many great kills. Oh, I'm willing yeah, to bet you. It's the best you, movie ever. 
uh, yeah, like it's going to be a five star movie to somebody. So that's one of the great things about cinema. But I think that's something though. Like I mean, look, I, I, I outside of like your staples, like Halloween and Friday Thirteenth, like I, I didn't go back and watch a lot of older. By older, I mean like pre nineties slasher movies mm-hmm. until I was probably like you know in college. And there were a chunk where I was like, why do people like this? Like I remember the first time I saw The Burning, sure. I was not that impressed by it. Um, Ooh, and it wasn't until later. Practical it's, effects. It's, <laughs> well, and, and it's really the putting your mind in the eighties, right? Like in the eighties, mm-hmm. this was shocking shit. Like this yeah, was. Yeah. And, like, me, I mean, the critics hated it, and it's been reappraised for whatever, but, like, um, I always find that I have to really lower my expectations if I'm going to back to watch a slasher, especially a slasher that's in the 80s. Like, um, I mean, it was in, like, Curtains, where I was, like, I don't think it's, like, a five-star film. I think it's an amazing film, but tempered expectations of, like, what's something that, uh, things that were coming out of the time, I liked it more than I would have had I watched it when I was a 19-year-old being, like, where's my scream? <laughs> <laughs> Well, shockingly right. enough, uh, genres evolve over time. But yeah, I mean, like, we also have a reverence for things that we grew up with. Like, I'm imagining if you talk to people who were alive. Oh, my God, that sounds terrible. I imagine if you talk to people who were like teenagers or like early 20 <laughs> something and going to the movies a lot in 1980. Like, I'd be curious to know which films stand out and which ones they have a certain nostalgia for. Because that's one of the reasons yeah. why Trace and I gravitate to films of the mid 90s. Is It's like, oh, that's when we were going to the movies a lot lot or we were renting things on video like from blockbuster so it yeah it's interesting when things like this then get reappraised because i think we're actually doing it through a more critical eye which can lend people to say well this movie is either bad or this movie has secret things that it's doing that is interesting or novel or unusual or it has stood the test of time which is i think the other reason why people would look at this movie and be like oh okay it was doing something different Mm-hmm. You may not like it, but it was unique. Yeah. It, yes, I agree. I agree, too. And it's very interesting that you bring up uh, watching films when you're a teenager, early 20s, because, like, those films will always stick with you because, yes. like, that is the perfect age when watching or listening to things. Because, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, like, people don't really know. Like, there's something that goes on with the brain when you when you uh, have stimuli like with music or movies Mm -hmm. during that uh, time frame of your life that will stick with you for the rest of your life. You're Mm -hmm. creating core memories uh, by watching whatever movies during your teenage, early 20 years. Like it's, it's just astounding. So like, I wonder if we turn the clock back and go back to like 1980 and like find the teenagers Mm -hmm. during that time that watch maniac uh, in theater and then ask them now, like, Hey, do you remember maniac? They would probably look fondly like, oh, yeah, that movie was crazy. Right. Whoa, can, can you believe that they blew that guy's head off? It's <laughs> exactly. Like, they would probably react that way because, like, that's very fond in their uh, in their mind, uh, the nostalgia aspect of it. But um, going back to Maniac, like, did you know this movie has a sequel? Maniac 2? Mm, it's a don't... short film, right? Yes. It came oh. out in 1986. Yeah, I think it's been included on some of the physical releases, but I I was looking at it like, Trace is but confused. surely like, it's not going to be. Like, what the it's not going to be about Frank Zito, is it? Like, how is this going to work? It stars Frank Zito. I was going to say, I mean, the, this movie ends with his eye opening up. Right. Well, of course it does. It does. Let's get off the fence. Okay. So the ending of this film, like, let's unpack it a little bit. So like. 
I did not expect a supernatural psychological thriller to happen at the end of this movie because mm-hmm. like this movie starts off as like a slasher, a video nasty esque movie, mm-hmm. and then it transitions to like this uh, drama uh, with uh, Frank Zito, and he's like you know having mommy troubles, and that's how he's like coping, and maybe he's getting out, but not really. He relapses and he kills uh, his girlfriend's friend or model that uh, she hired, and then at the end of the movie, it becomes like this psychological thriller where the ma- the mannequins that he's constructing out of the body parts of the people that he's killing uh, come to life and then kill him. Well, and we haven't even mentioned that. We haven't mentioned the mannequins really at all in this recording. And it's like, right. yeah, he's putting the scalps on these mannequins and it's like, you know, he's literally objectifying women. He's removing mm-hmm. their body and replacing them with objects, which is just, eh. <laughs> Again, let's talk about the misogyny. Like, (laughs) women are akin to mannequins. Like, I mean, but this is obviously the work of a disturbed mind, right? Because he's also having full-on conversations with them. We're hearing their voices. So I think it's interesting that the mannequins end up transforming, quote-unquote, because, of course, it's all sort of like his mental uh, Mm -hmm. destabilization at the end. It's not real, but I love that the mannequins turn back into their women and then they, Mm -hmm. to a certain extent, get their revenge on him. Like in a way I was like, Oh, this last little bit, it's almost like a rape revenge. Only there's no rape. Yeah. Right. Like that surprised me. And it was not going to lie. It was pretty satisfying Mm -hmm. uh, having them enact their revenge from beyond the grave uh, against Frank. But like the way this movie ends was very strange. So I have to ask. So when the mannequins, you know, come upon Frank, they start stabbing him, ripping him apart. Mm -hmm. And that's where the true gore uh, special effects happen, where they rip his head off and like start like (laughs) ripping apart his body and cutting off his arms, quartering him essentially. And I was like, what the fuck am I watching? Is this like a zombie movie now? So I have to ask. Do you think Frank Zito died at the end because it was all in his head? And then when it tr- and when it transitions to the rest of the scene, it's him stabbing himself. Mm-hmm. Do you think he died in the end? Yeah, I think he he killed himself. I I, I really believe that the mannequins coming to life are a manifestation of his guilt. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. And so he, while he's seeing and witnessing the mannequins rip him apart, he's killing himself. He's just visualizing something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's finally catching up with him. I I definitely think that he dies here by suicide. I mean, mm-hmm. it would have helped if any of those cops or maybe like a medical examiner going s- checks for a pulse <laughs> or something. It's the 80s. Uh, I, I look at that final little moment where the eye opens. It was like, this is what we did back then, right? Like we're having our carry moment. We want to always leave that door open in case we want to have a sequel or scare the audience with one last jump. And yep. I... I mean, it's not my favorite technique that horror films use, but a lot of folks do. But um, yeah, to me, he he's dead. And that's just the sort of quote unquote yeah. studio mandated finale, even though there's no studio. Right. <laughs> I think they could have just removed his eye opening because like I was like, sure. oh, wow, he's dead. And it was kind of like this cathartic end for the character. Mm-hmm. And then his eye opened up and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Scary. Ah. Like um, if you want to make a sequel, just have the first scene be like, oh, he actually lived mm-hmm. and like he, ex- he escaped. And but no, you guys, he just the, walks the out of the morgue and he's fine. There yeah. you go. <laughs> it does, I think you said studio, it does feel like a studio mandate, right? Like, can you just like 
pop his eye open real quick just in case we make money. Yeah. yeah. Can you add a voiceover? I don't understand it. <laughs> Basically. The audience may not get it. Now it's confusing. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, like my next question is like I, I said this earlier with like him being like I said it jokingly in the incel version of Michael Myers, but like I make that comparison because like you hear his breathing throughout the first act of this film mm-hmm. and like you just see him as like a silhouette and it's just like <laughs> and I was like, Oh, Michael Myers. Do you think this movie was a blatant ripoff? Kind of like an edgier version of Michael Myers. Like someone saw John Carpenter's film and he was like, Hmm, I could do that, but let me make it more gritty, more disturbing. Do you think it's like it's a blatant ripoff in that regard? Or do you think like this is kind of its own thing? I don't think so. However, I'm thinking while you're asking this question, I'm kind of like, well, you could read Michael Myers as being like traumatized by watching his sister fuck her boyfriend. And that's what oh, sets sure. him off on this killing spree. Yes. So I, I don't think it's as obvious. Um, I don't think that was truly the intention here. Um, if only because I feel like this movie, I feel like this movie is probably influenced by other films. That I have no idea exist because I'm not very well versed in this exploitation, like seventies grindhouse cinema. Right. So I feel like William Lustig would probably watch him like Halloween and be like, that's, that's kid stuff. Um, I feel like there's probably other movies that I just, that are hard like this. That I'm not aware of, but it's a possibility. I mean, I see, I see the parallels there. Yeah. I mean, the number of films that were employing certain techniques that were the most popularized by Halloween, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was kind of like, okay, we're going to do a little, point of view shots we're going to do some heavy breathing that kind of stuff it's like that's fine i think a lot of people were just like well this is a way that we can do it and it was successful it made money so yes let's copy this to me it's more this marriage to what you said earlier Aman, which is like the the riff from the headlines kind of true crime mm-hmm. aspect of it i think that's where yeah. lustig is more interested in having his commentary like what kind of person would do those sorts of crimes and I think that's his his driving influence. Like the rest of it is more like, let's make sure that the kills are really good and let's use some of these techniques that Halloween maybe did a good job of employing. And that's something I actually liked about it too, is because once the murders hit the paper, it's like people know that this murderer mm-hmm. is out there like God. killing women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, and that's right. something again that I don't think you see a lot in slasher films, uh, at mm-hmm. least at the time. Uh so yeah, because like, it's not yeah, a whodunit, like right? Like, we, right. we know who this killer is, so there's no purpose in keeping people, uh, like, yeah. In and the dark. It's also, like, this. it's unclear how long this movie actually goes on for, but it's not, like, a couple of days, right? Like, it's at least a week, maybe a couple of weeks that he's been right. doing this. Because, yeah, because his mom died a long time ago, though. Mm-hmm. Like, we know it wasn't recent. So, theoretically, he's been killing people for a long time. Hmm. Yeah, like I got the vibes. Well, let me just say I don't think this is a cheap knockoff of Halloween. I think it's its own thing. If anything, it's an homage to Son of Sam. Uh but like mm-hmm. I I got like Zodiac killer vibes yep. before I made the Son of Sam connection. I was like, mm-hmm. especially with the car scene. Like yes. that's both Son of Sam and Zodiac. Um because like he could have done this for for decades. It could it could be like the Golden State Killer. Like mm-hmm. it, it seemed like he's been doing it for a while right unchecked yeah yeah it's weird because he's he's not a polished killer like he's not very good at covering his tracks he's a very blatant and yet 
yeah, I think so much of this is informed by those various killers. Like even the opening scene, which is a dream sequence, but like killing people on the beach, that is very Zodiac killer. Yeah, very much so. Also, yeah, I didn't even think about the fact that yeah, the, the one of two men he kills in this movie, one's a dream sequence. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't even know that was a dream sequence. I was like, damn, this is how the movie's starting. <laughs> but it's not beach. very explicit, right? Like, in a way, no. you could misread it as, like, he killed those people and then he just wakes up afterwards. Like, it, it cinematic language cues us to say, okay, well, that's what happened. Like, he was dreaming mm-hmm. it and that's when he wakes up. But I remember the first time I saw it before I started to read descriptions, I was like, oh, so he killed those people and then he wakes up in a fit the next day. But, like, he still murdered them, right? Yeah, but, I mean, because it also <laughs> reveals, like, he has scars on his torso, so he was physically abused by his mother or her mm-hmm. lovers for something. So, I mean, yeah, it's like, yeah, I think we're meant to be like, oh, like, his his past tra- trauma, <laughs> for mm-hmm. lack of a better term, is uh, is fueling his nightmares. Oh, whoops, sorry, he's your uh, eponymous maniac. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so my next question is, so we talked a lot about kind of like this resurgence, this fond look back at this film. Do you think it's because of the popularity of true crime? Because like when watching this, I made so many connections to like serial killers. I was like, okay, Zodiac, Son of Sam, uh, Ed Gein. Like, do you think it's because of the popularity of true crime right now that people are looking back to this film? Like, Hmm, I should check out this movie. I mean, I I do think that is a part of it. And I'll be honest, I had never heard of this movie until the remake. I, I don't even know if I knew it was a remake when I saw it. Right. Um, but it felt like after that came out, then people were talking about the original. So, I mean, I think that, but I do, that's also like, what, that's 2012. That's mm-hmm. also around the time where true crime podcasts are really, really spiking. So I think it's a combination. Like it's a, it's a happy accident of both. <laughs> Yeah. And then, of course, like this is a movie that just recently celebrated its 40th anniversary. So anytime a film hits a big milestone, if it's even sort of percolating in the public consciousness, it'll usually get a big boost because a bunch of people will do like anniversary posts on it or rewatches because it'll show up on lists. Right. Like, oh, what are the big milestones this year? It's like, oh, fuck, maniac. Right. Okay, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, because that's how I mean, like not to toot our own bloody disgusting horn, but like that's that's how I find found out about a lot of lesser known uh, cla- classic films was just by reading bloody disgusting before I wrote for them. <laughs> <laughs> Chill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man. Like I do agree with you too. I think it's a combination. It's like so many stars aligning with this movie. It's like, you know, it's itching the scratch with, uh, for, uh, true crime. It's mm. also like looked fondly upon, you know, back 40 years ago. Now it's the 40th anniversary. So it's like, this convergence of so many different accolades with this movie that it's like, Oh, everyone's going to be talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my final question for you two, would you recommend maniac to a friend? <laughs> Depends on the friend. Yeah. I like, think so too. So true. I have some friends that have shown me some supremely fucked up things. <laughs> I'm fairly certain they've already seen this. Um, but if I was like, you know, a casual viewer or a not, I don't want to say novice horror fan, that makes sense like they're less experienced, but like a, maybe a burgeoning horror fan, I'll use that term. Um, I would recommend it because I think there's a lot of display here that, I mean, if you're looking for horror, it is here. Mm-hmm. Um, just with the caveat. So, yeah, this is a pretty intense film that, you know, you could view as misogynistic. Right. Yeah, I, I, this sounds super shitty. I think I'd be more inclined to recommend this to men than I would be to women, or I would want to unpack it 
a little bit with uh, a, a female friend before I like kind of heartily recommended just be like, so have you had to deal with a bunch of shitty men? Are you in the right headspace to deal with that kind of thing right now? It's so funny because I was going through my letterbox while y'all were talking for a minute to be like, okay, I'm going to find a woman review of this movie of someone that I know. And, you know, there were ratings, but I couldn't find a written review by any female or female identifying person on letterbox. But I found one and it was a four star review and it was just like a wild and fun ride. So this woman who speaks for all uh, women, clearly, um, they no. think it's a wild and fun ride. <laughs> I mean, it's not like Trace and I don't have female friends who enjoy extreme cinema. Like we've had a couple of guests on there who are watching like way worse shit than we ever do. So I don't want to make it seem like, oh, you know, women are sensitive and frail and they they can't be exposed to this kind of stuff. But it's more like I also have a lot of friends who are the victims. Sorry. I have a lot of friends who are the survivors of domestic abuse or, uh, you know, like sexual rape assault. and sexual assault. And I think this movie could be really triggering if you just went into it without right. knowing what it was. Cause so many people just talk about the gore. You're like, cool, I can handle gore. But then you go and you're like, Oh no, this dude is yeah. real shit. That's rough. Mm-hmm. But right. that being said, um, the short answer is yes. I, yeah, I, I, would answer no is yes. <laughs> I, I would recommend this movie to people because I, I think there's a lot here to like. And as we've already said, Spinell's performance, which is highlighted in any positive review of this film, yes. mm-hmm. is really, really, really good. And, you know, like, yeah, yeah it, it, it's made for $350,000. It looks like shit. But I think, yeah, like, <laughs> Joe, you said the, the cameras, the, it, it's really well shot, I think, yeah. um, for what they are working with. So I think especially for burgeoning filmmakers too. I feel like they'll, they'll look at this and be like, Ooh, this is like the kind of like, mm-hmm. um, gorilla, like, like low, yeah. like low budget, like, like micro budget thing that I want to aspire yeah. to be something like this. Yeah. You could do it. James Cameron did it when he made Terminator. He's like, oh, let me just go out in the street and film this really quick. He Basically. made it with Piranha 2, the spawning. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, in this case, it, this really is guerrilla filmmaking. They couldn't afford yeah. permits, so they just had to like shoot things. And then it was like, uh, hide the evidence in the trunk of your car before the police show up. <laughs> well, and it, it's called sleazeploitation, and it looks sleazy as fuck. Like, it, <laughs> it looks like yeah. shit. It looks like yeah. shit. But that is what works in the film's favor. Mm-hmm. This film would not work as well if it looked like crystal clear 4K high definition. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. So everybody run out and buy that 4K that's coming out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to give me that review of the 4K. Like, are they going to remove the noise from uh, the film or is right? it just clean up clean? the grain? I, Absolutely. I don't think it'll look good clean. So, I, it's just going to be a really clear picture of grain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Well, for me, I would recommend it with an asterisk, with mm-hmm. a disclaimer. Like, this is definitely not for everybody. Like, yeah. if you want, like, a heavy movie, for sure watch Maniac, because, like, it is, it's the definition of heavy. Like, it's it's very intense. Um, the gore is, like, pretty palatable. It's it's We've seen worse on, like, shows like The Walking Dead or something. But, like, just the content, mm-hmm. the the animosity this character has towards women is so intense. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that women can't handle it. They can. Oh, they sure. certainly can. Uh, but like, like you said, uh, Joe, like those who have uh, survived such instances, such individuals, um, definitely like, don't watch this movie. No way. <laughs> I won't. I won't even I, again. Just a cop asterisk on that, even though. But I know that some 
women or men who are survivors right. of anything, they can find catharsis in that. So again, right. it's more so an action. Like, hey, this is what this is. If right. you know that you can, do you find that cathartic or you know you can handle that by all right. means. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. Man, this was this was some movie, guys. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> and now on to the oh. 2012 version. <laughs> oh God, John, I'm so. I know we're not, not going to watch it anytime soon, but like I'm really excited for when you do finally watch it, <laughs> or when we cover it. Maybe we'll cover it. Who knows? There we go. <laughs> I mean, if you guys speak so highly of it, like it seems like the the better movie to watch than this. Movie. Um, let or let me let me let me just. I just want to see what I think the critical consensus for that remake was actually overwhelming. It's quite positive. positive. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was like, le- <laughs> I was going to say legitimate critics, like, like as if horror movie critics aren't like legitimate right. critics. Um, that is not what I meant. Uh, uh, it's, it's 53%, but the genre outlets like really, really, really liked it. Oh, ah. of course. Of course. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, horror gets so poo pooed on such bullshit mm-hmm. like it's it's a it's a valid medium just like drama like so i'm glad like a lot of directors now like ari aster robert eggers jordan peele they're taking the horror genre and elevating it. it's like you know what fuck you we can make good stories we can make good films in the horror genre so yes I'll yes my soapbox. but i do think that implies that making uh-huh. something like this isn't good and i think that's wrong it's it, what this film is trying to do it is very good at doing and i think that's a really important thing because people think oh it's sleaze equals bad it's like no no no, no. sleaze is just a form of art <laughs> you may not like it that's fine but that doesn't mean it's something that's bad right i've seen i've seen many many sleazy movies mm-hmm. it's a guilty pleasure like you know when it's so bad that it's good those movies and also this one, it's like, it, it, it's a statement. It is a piece of art because like it sparked a conversation, which is what we're having right yeah. now. That's what art does. Like it's, it's more than just the artwork. It's also the conversation that accompanies it. So yeah, I mean, I agree. Like this is definitely, you know, a good movie, but like, the Academy of Film, what it's trying to do. How's yes. that? Listen, the Academy yeah. of Film needs to nominate uh retroactively nominated maniac for gun to your head it's say it's good <laughs> <laughs> and the oscar goes to maniac oh my god yeah. it's like you won't years. believe what these queers made me say on my own <laughs> podcast <laughs> are you guys on that note are you guys ready to close this out <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But that's it for this time on Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. We've been talking about Maniac from 1980. Please check it out where it is available. And before we go, Joe, Trace, thank you so much for coming on to this show. Where can they find your podcast? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. 
But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, uh, we have a new episode that drops on our main feed, so publicly available every Wednesday, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to connect with the show, you can reach us at Horror Queers. If you want to just reach Trace because he's more popular, you can reach him at <laughs> Trace Thurman. That's Trace D. Thurman. And I am at to be still on my remote, and that's the letter B. <laughs> I'm just more. Irre- I'm not more popular. I'm more irreverent. <laughs> he says ruder things, so people think he's funny. It's like this movie. I'm shocking people, and they're like, "Ooh, I want to see more of that." <laughs> true. Also, whole picks. Yeah, whole picks. Yes. Come for the whole picks. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't whole picks. <laughs> send all your love of love letters to to Trace. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> not to Joe, just to Trace. <laughs> All right. But if you want to keep this conversation going, please add us on your favorite social media platform at Syndicate, that is Syndicate on Instagram and Letterboxd. Or join the Discord server where you can catch myself along with other podcasters and listeners talking about this film and others at syndicate.com forward slash Discord. Until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye. (laughs) 